If you have your uh, Bible, please open it to the book of James, chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Your life in this country, in this world, is a tale of two journeys. Two journeys that shape the way you act and react to life. Remember the quote of reflection from the beginning of the service. What is your responsibility? It's easy to act like a Christian. It's hard to react like one. You see, the journey that you're traveling, it is impacting the way you act and react to what happens in this life. It's impacting the way you respond to and understand social issues in our country, like race, culture, class. Think for a moment about how you acted and reacted to what is taking place in Ferguson, Missouri. Think about it. What about immigration, education, poverty? How have you acted and reacted to these type of issues? How? How do you act and react to those who see life different than you? Different class, different race, different denomination, different church. Your actions and reactions are a tale of two journeys. You're either on a journey of disorder or are you on a journey of peace? A journey of disorder or a journey of peace? Where are you? Where are you traveling today? To help us answer these questions, we're going to continue to look at the book of John, book of James. James 3, verses 13 through 18. Here's God's word. This is God's word, not Alex's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let us pray. Lord, this is your truth. It's not the words of man, though you use man to write it. It is not man's word. It is the very word of God, inspired by you through the work of your spirit. And as we come to it, Lord, we don't come to it lightly. We don't come to it as we come into any other book, Lord. But this is truth. Truth 
in which we should eat of daily. Not breadcrumbs, not gossip, not social media, but the very word of God to his people. This word brings hope. This word brings redemption. This word speaks of a, tells a, of a story of a gospel that no other story and no other book can tell. No other movie can do this justice. Hollywood can't do with justice to this book. And so as your people, Lord, you know where we are. You know where we are. You know. You know what hides in our hearts. You, you love us the same, but you also want to change us to make us more like Jesus, to make us more like your son. And so in my prayers, Lord, that all of us, that your spirit will work in us a deep humility, a self-awareness to know we're not holier than thou. We are beneath the cross, hands held high, crying out for more mercy, for more grace as we live and walk this life. And so my prayer is that the spirit the Holy Spirit, that, that counselor, our helper, that he will help us today and that he will help me as well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last week we, we, we dealt with the journey of disorder. And if you, were, if you were not here, I definitely encourage you to go to the website to, to listen to that sermon because both of these sermons go together. And as I said last week, many of us, Believers and, and even unbelievers are on a journey of disorder when it comes to how we act and react in our country. I can't speak for Christians in other countries, but I can speak to those of us in America. We are on a journey of disorder when it comes to social issues. We are. Definitely ones about race and culture and class status. And you say, well, why? Why is that true? Because our actions and our reactions to these issues are often more political than biblical. That's why. They're more political than biblical. They're more red and blue than they are Jesus. And we have to grow into a place where our actions and our reactions on these issues, like all other issues, are biblical. Because the Bible does speak to such issues. And as Christians, how can we bring hope if we don't know how to do that? People are dealing with these issues, and we've got to bring the gospel into that. We have to. More biblical, more reflective of Jesus. What's the old Christian question? What would Jesus do? Probably not what we're doing. His actions and reactions were always biblical. Always. Always. Even when he disagreed with people, it was all, he was always biblical. He desired the same for us. And I believe a, a biblical response and a, and a biblical understanding of these issues will set you on a journey of peace, not one of disorder. James summarizes for us a journey of peace. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding today? 
By his good conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom. The humility of wisdom. Is that true of you? Is it true of me? So first, uh, heavenly wisdom sets you on a journey of peace. Heavenly wisdom is a mark of the journey of peace. Which is opposite of the wisdom that leads you to a journey of disorder. James says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every evil practice. Heavenly wisdom doesn't lead you to such things. It doesn't set you on a journey of disorder. It's not earthly. It's not unspiritual. It's not demonic. It will not feed your jealousy and selfish ambition. It would not produce every evil practice. Heavenly wisdom is otherworldly. It comes down from above. James wants you to understand that it doesn't have its origin in this life. It comes from above. It comes from the Lord God. James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. And the, 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 the literal reading of that in the Greek says, but the wisdom from above is indeed first pure. What's the emphasis there? Before wisdom, the wisdom from above, before it's anything else, before he gets into all the other things that it is, he wants you to know that it is first pure because it comes from God. And if it's pure, it means to be, it's not stained, it's not blended, it's not mixed with anything else. It's not blended with things in this life. You can't put heavenly wisdom and worldly wisdom in your Vitamix and mix it. Don't work. James says it is first pure. Wisdom from above is first pure. One commentator says, Heavenly wisdom enters this fallen world, but it's not affected by it. It enters this fallen world, but it doesn't mix with it. Does it mix with it? It's not stained by worldliness. It's not stained by worldly wisdom. It's not political. It's biblical. It's not red. It's not blue. But it's Jesus. And so the question for us as believers is, is do you want to be on a journey of peace as you live this life? As you act and react to things in this life? Or are you going to be on a journey of disorder? Where do you want to be? If you want to be on a journey of peace, you're going to have to do business with Jesus. If you are an unbeliever and you say, I want to be on a journey of peace, then you've got to do business with Jesus. If you are a believer who has faith in Christ, you still got to do business with Jesus. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And this fear begins in your heart, inside of you, not outside of you. 
The fear of the Lord is beginning to heavenly wisdom. And this fear is not you being afraid of God. It's not you thinking he's the boogeyman on your bed that's going to get you. Fear of the Lord, it means surrender. It means submission. It means worship. It means your allegiance is to Yahweh Elohim. Your loyalty is to Yahweh Elohim, to no one else or anything else. It means your business is to do the Father's business. It means you allow Him to shape your life, to work in your hearts. And for all of us, He needs to do some spring cleaning in all of us. If you don't know Jesus by saving faith, then your heart needs some spring cleaning. And if you do know him, your heart still needs spring cleaning. Because remember, James is talking to the church when he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. He's talking to believers. And trust me, we all have it. And if you don't see it, you need to pray for some self-awareness about yourself. Because we often are deceived into believing that we are more bigger than we think we are. And our hearts will deceive us into believing that. We can struggle with these sins, but we don't have to live in them. Because there's freedom. There's freedom for you. And if you're a believer, you have the freedom. You just got to live in it. A regenerate heart, a heart that has been Breathe a heart that has been made new by the work of the Spirit is the only heart that can harbor the fear of the Lord inside of it. You have to be born again. You have to be born again. You have to have come to a place where you have come to Jesus in saving faith, a heart where your heart has surrendered to Him and it has submitted to Him. And, and, and James is is not a a, a, a a, a spiritual guru who's going to give you these 12 steps to, to obtaining heavenly wisdom. You're not going to find that book on the, in the Christian bookshelf. There's a condition to obtaining this heavenly wisdom. And the condition is surrender. The condition is death. The condition is faith in Christ. That's what it is. A covenant relationship with Jesus where you are resting, trusting, and depending on him alone. And here's the thing you got to also understand. Is once you come to him. Once you surrender to him. That means he has all of you. He has everything. Not just your sins. Everything that is about you belongs to him. Know that. The day you received Christ, the day God called you into his kingdom, was the day you handed him the keys to your life, the keys to your house, the keys to your car, the checking account number to your bank. All belongs to him. One author says, Jesus not only died to bear our sins in his body on the tree, but he himself represented us in our totality of our natural life. To put it aside, it was the man, not only his sin, that went to the cross. Know that. It wasn't just your sin that went to the cross. It was all that you are. All that you are now belongs to Jesus. 
Like the song, we read a song, it all belongs to him. Everything down to the toenails on your feet belong to Jesus. Belong to him. All of it belongs to him. And what does that mean? It means how you live and act and react in this life should be a reflective of him. The question is, where are you? Where are you? He wants us to be on a journey of peace. But is that true? Again, what has been your reactions to Ferguson, Missouri? What has been your reactions to the immigration crisis? What has been your reaction to the educational changes that have taken place in our city? What has been your reaction? What are your actions? Is it biblical? That's all. That's the question. Is it biblical or simply political? Where are you? Where is your heart? This week I received two Facebook um, messages from two friends saying they wanted to meet with me to get my perspective on what is taking place in Ferguson. And I, I, I Facebooked them back and said, yes, let's get together. Let's talk. And so I, I met one of them this week uh, for lunch, and he, I shared my perspective with him. He shared his. And you know what? We didn't break fellowship over it. We had a healthy, honest conversation about race, culture, and class in our country. And it strengthened our fellowship. We didn't break fellowship. Why? Because Jesus was at the center of the conversation. Not our red and white, red and blue colors. Not our political views. It was the cross. Because at the cross, you should be able to talk about difficult stuff in our country without breaking fellowship with people who see life different than you. A biblical understanding and response to these issues will, will lead to such conversations in humility. But as I told my friend, I said, the problem for many believers is that when there's fallout in our country over such issues, the Bible goes to the shelf and we run to our idols. We run to our political false prophets because we think they're going to give us the answer. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's conservative Joe. No, it's progressive Jim. I'm here to tell you, that's not always biblical. It's not always biblical. And I believe when we approach these things simply politically, they will never ever lead to us having an honest conversation with those who see life different than us. Never. It will always lead you on a journey of disorder. Always. They will feed into your sins of jealousy and selfish ambition. They will. Again, how have you reacted? What, what emotions have come up in you? I know it has come up in me. I, I have taken a sabbatical from those things. Because it's shown me things in my heart. What about your heart? And as I said last week, social media, news media, your liberal and conservative prophets feed into your social sins more than helping you get free from them. They feed into it. You have believers who won't talk to one another, break fellowship with one another over politics because that's their idol. That's their God. 
I got to tell you, Jesus is not honored in that. If he is at the center, if he is at the center of it all, if he, everything really belongs to him, then our, the way we deal with one another will be different. And I'm talking about the church. Pagans going to do what pagans do. Okay? The unbelief, I expect that from those who don't know Jesus. But those who claim to say, I love Jesus, but we break fellowship because you don't see life like I do, how can you back that up biblically? How can you? How can I? If I'm wrong, show me in Scripture why I'm wrong. Don't show me why I'm wrong politically. Show me in the Word. Take me to the Word and show me why I'm wrong. Who is wise and understand among you? Let him show his good works in the meekness of humility. In the meekness of humility. What journey are we on? Are we on a journey of peace? James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And he gives generously, without reproach. Ask him. He will give it to you. Through the Spirit, he'll give you the wisdom. Heavenly wisdom is a mark of a journey of peace. And heavenly wisdom, it changes your heart. You will change the way you act and react. It will. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. For the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, sincere, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James gives us all these adjectives here to help us see the type of actions and reactions heavenly wisdom produces in the hearts of believers. The question you've got to ask yourself, is that true about your heart? Look at those adjectives. Look at them. Look at the way you respond to life. Is it like that? Is it peaceable? Is it gentle? Is it open to reason? You can't leave here today and checklist this stuff. The first thing you have to do is repent where the Spirit brings conviction. Because like I said, we all have a bit of jealousy and selfish ambition. But James doesn't want us to live in those things. He wants us to harbor these things in our hearts. These first group of adjectives, peaceable, gentle, and open to reason, they, they deal with the point of view of your heart, the perspective of your heart. And each of us has a, again, has a way that we consider things, the way that we see life, the way we deal with conflict and all these things. And, and James said, we need a different outlook, a different perspective, one that's biblical. The wisdom from above is first pure, then it's peaceable. A peaceable attitude is one that loves peace and promotes peace at the same time in all situations and circumstances. It helps you not to be thrown in the depths of despair by war and turmoil, but that it gives you self-control, self-restraint, composure in life. Are you peaceable? In your family, in your church, in this country? Are you peaceable as you engage in this life? Next, he says, there's a gentle attitude. 
that's kind, that's patient, that's considerate, that's understanding. It's you, been, it's you willing to yield your preferences, your rights, or your desire to be right. One commentator says, this heart quietly gathers all the facts before it gives its opinion. It refrains from placing itself first and always considers others better than itself. Are you gentle with those you disagree with? Are you gentle with your spouse when, you, when your spouse disagrees with you? A fellow church member, co-worker? Are you gentle with those who are politically different than you? What's in your heart? The third one, I like this one, is open to reason. It's open to reason. This means you're open to correction without being defensive. It also means you have to be open to the possibility that your opinions may be wrong sometimes. <laughs> that the way you see life may actually be wrong some of the time. It ain't always the other person across the aisle's fault. Are you open to reason? Again, this is in God's word. How many of you went to God's word when things break down socially? Do you run here or do you run to CNN or Fox News? Where do you run? Where do you run as a believer? You better come to James. Run to James. James will put you in the right mind frame every time. Run to the word. Run to the scriptures to get understanding on how you should see this life. Are you open to reason? Are you? That's the first group of adjectives. The second group deal with the work of our heart. It says it's full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. Those are the works that come from those who are on the journey of peace. If you're on a journey of disorder, you are not, you're not for mercy. You definitely ain't going to have no good fruit. To be full of mercy means you extend mercy to other people without expecting anything in return. Because guess what? You have been given mercy. Right? Hasn't God given you mercy? And we sing about it. Our theology preaches it. And we are to extend that same mercy without expecting anything in return. Remember, God gave mercy to you when you were his enemy. Okay? And so that same mercy we are to extend, we are to also extend with those we disagree with. It's always easy to give mercy to our friends. But what about the neighbor you can't stand? The co-worker that gets on your nerves? Are you willing to extend them mercy? Are you? Another commentator says, mercy always deals with what we see of pain, misery, and, dist- and distress. It extends relief. It cures, it heals, it helps. Journey of peace will produce those things. Again, is that true about your life? Is it true about your life? When things fall apart, when things fall apart socially in our country, where are you going to be? Are you going to be full of mercy or full of something else? When you cross paths with those who are of a different economic class, are you full of mercy or are you full of something else? Or do you have the attitude, I'm just better than them? You are called to be salt and light in the midst of our broken and fallen world. Not to follow suit, 
not to join that narrative, but to change the narrative with a gospel narrative. You've got to understand, the church, believers, are the only ones who can take God's narrative into this world. The only ones. We have to take God's narrative when things fall apart. There is no hope in anything else. There is no peace in anything else. Nothing else. And you as believers are the only ones that have the power and the message that can bring hope and speak peace into the lives of those whose lives are falling apart. Government programs ain't going to do it. Because it can't change hearts. can't change lives. The gospel, people, the gospel, you have to believe it if you're going to ever take it out and give it to those who need it. People need hope that things can be better. They don't need progress. They need hope in the gospel that only the gospel can bring. But will we change the narrative to one way Jesus is at the center and nothing else? We have to. Salt and light. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's at the center of all these good fruits. Love your neighbor as yourself. So simple, but yet so difficult to do. Because it's easy to love people who are just like us. Good fruits. We all know the good fruits are, are, are the fruits of the Spirit, which are opposite of the fruits of the flesh. And Paul talks about the fruits of the flesh in, in Galatians, too. And what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these things come from those who are on a journey of peace. This is biblical. Not political. Where are you? The third group of adjectives, impartial, sincere, they deal with the loyalty of your heart. And loyalty means your heart is not double-minded. It's not wavering between two opinions. It's not doubting. It's not divided. It is sincere and firm in where it stands. It's genuine. And where is your loyalty? I said at the beginning of this sermon, it is always with Jesus. He is where your allegiance lies. He is where your faithfulness lies with no one else. Is that true? St. Augustine says, our hearts, are re- our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in Jesus. Jesus, you want rest? You want peace? Then it's in Christ. Him alone. journey of peace you will be a peaceable person gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere it will lead you to act and react biblically in this life it will lead you to show your good works in the humility of wisdom and James says in verse 18, if that is true a harvest of righteousness will be sown by those who make peace Are you one who seeks to make peace? 
are you? We should be. A peacemaker would not foster and create disorder, but peace. And you say, well, can I get a picture of what it means to be a peacemaker? I got a picture for you right there. Right there. You want a piece, a picture of what it means to be a peacemaker is right here on this table. It's right here on this table. Because what what this table represents is what Jesus came to do for his enemies. When you hated God, when you spat at God, when you argued with God, when you didn't care about God, when you were lost in your sins, Jesus came and said, you know what, I'm going to create peace between you and my father. Between you and my father. When you hated my father, I'm going to come make a way for you to be made right with him. That's what this table represents for each of us this morning. Paul says we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about that. Peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the best peacemaker in the whole world is Jesus. And he invites all of his people, all of his people who have saving faith, he invites them to come and partake of this table. It's not my table. It's not the village church's table. It is Jesus' table. And children, I encourage each of you to watch what we do now. And also, uh, if you don't have saving faith in Christ, if you don't know him, we consider it for you to be. We consider the honor that you're here. And if you want to know how you can know Jesus, please, please, come see me after the service. I'll sit down and I'll tell you how you can know Jesus and have peace with Jesus. I encourage you to do that. And adults, if if the kids with you, if they have not been admitted to the table by the church that you attend, we ask that they abstain for the elements. But we leave that to your oversight. Now, kids. This is my favorite part. I encourage each of you, each of you, to watch what we do here. This is just not bread and juice. It represents something that Jesus did for you on the cross. And it is my hope as your pastor, and it's your parents' hope as well, that one day when you come to save in faith, you can partake of this meal with us. And, Lord, we can't wait until that day that you can join us in this meal. So please join me as I pray. Father, I pray for, again, for your spirit to come and minister to us. I believe you've ministered to us through the Lord's supper supernaturally. And I pray that you minister to our brokenness, minister to our broken hearts, minister to our, our broken lives and the things that we're dealing with. Reassure us, Lord, through this meal that your love endures forever. That you are a God of peace. Assure us of your goodness and your faithfulness. Assure us of your presence in our lives. So Lord, I pray that you bless this meal. In Christ's name I pray. I want to speak